last week, we started this series in the book of James. And so I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter number one. We're going to look at verses 19 through 27 this morning. Mark did such an amazing job kicking off that series last week and so blessed by his ministry. And it personally touches our family. We have a daughter who is in our Harvest Students Thrive ministry. And uh, man, it's such a blessing to have him and his family on our staff. And I know many of you Um, if not all of you who have, are affected in some shape or form or touched uh, by Mark's ministry would definitely echo that. And so it was great to have him just bring the word last week and kick off our series looking at verses one through 18. Let me give you a little background to the writer and the context of this book. I think it's always good to give a little background information as you start a new book studies, walking through a particular book. And we'll be walking through this up through July. And, and so just wanted to give you a little background. This first one may shock you. you. You may not realize this, but the writer of James, the book of James is James. So, so now you feel like you've, you've gotten what you paid for this morning, right? And and, uh, but particularly, you know, there's many James, uh, I'm sure, that existed in this time. That was a very common name. But this James was the half-brother of Jesus. And sometimes if you've been in church, you, you hear James referred to as that. And you're like, what is the deal with half-brother? Well, we know that the Holy Spirit is the one who caused Mary to conceive. And Joseph, of Joseph and, and Mary um, had other children besides Jesus. We see that in the Gospels. And so those siblings were, are referred to as half-brothers or sisters of Jesus because Jacob was not Jesus's biological father. And so that's why that term is used. And just as a side note, can you imagine like having Jesus as a sibling? Like here's, here's something you could never do. You could never blame anything on Jesus as a kid. Like when Joseph or Mary are like, all right, who did it? You could never say, it was Jesus. Can, like, like, that's totally eliminated from your arsenal. And we know that James growing up did not believe in who Jesus was. We don't know what contributed to that. We can kind of jokingly say maybe it was that silly uh, illustration that I just gave, but we don't know why that was the case. But here's what we do know. In 1 Corinthians 15, we see evidence, Paul gives evidence that James believed in Jesus as the Savior, as the Messiah of the world. And he came to that realization between the time that Jesus resurrected from the dead and the time that Jesus ascended into heaven. And so James put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And in the time that James is writing this book, James is also known, as we see in the book of Acts, was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, one of the most significant churches of the day. And so James writes this book to the Jews that were dispersed all over the known world at that time. That is found there in the first verses of the book of James, but so just so you know the author and the context, but one of the things that I find just so captivating about the book of James is just how like black and white practical it is. Now listen to me, I don't say that because to infer that all of God's word is not practical because we know what 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scriptures breathe out that God, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. But what I mean by that with the book of James is it's just like it connects the dots 
so literally. Like, let's just, let me just lift, list off to you some of these we looked at last week, what James is, is dealt with as we looked at last week and what it will deal with in the future that we'll walk through. It talks about how to endure trials. Looked at that last week. What to do when you don't know what to do. Asking God for wisdom. We saw that in the verses that we covered last week. That sin and temptation and how temptation leads to sin. Looked at that last week. Dealing with anger. Going to touch on that this morning and continue in this book. Bigotry. And the sinfulness of that, going to look at that next week in chapter two. Faith and works, how do those things like correlate and don't contradict one another? James is going to tell us about that. The danger of the tongue. Yeah, James is going to speak to that. What are the characteristics of godly wisdom? Like in chapter one, I'm supposed to ask for it, but how do I know when I've gotten it? Why do I know what it is? That would be a fair question. James three covers that. Advice for those who've been entrusted with much, and if we live in this country, that's us in comparison to the rest of the world. How are we to approach the things that God has placed in our care financially? James is going to talk about that. The subject of prayer, James is going to deal with that. James is such an extremely practical book. And so when we thought about what do we title this series, we came up with the name Full Length Mirror. Now, I don't know about you, but I... This is how my mind works when I like to know the origin of things. Like the things that we use all the time. Like when did that start? When was that invented? What's the background to that and when it was first used? And so I was curious, like what are the first, first uh, recorded evidence of a mirror being used outside of looking into a pond, right? Like when was that? I thought this was interesting. According to a 2006 review by vision scientist Dr. J. Enoch, in the Journal of Optometry and Vision Science, something I never crack open, just in case you're curious. But <laughs> this is what it said. People in Anatolia, which is modern-day Turkey, supposedly were the first ones to manufacture mirrors out of ground and polished obsidian or volcanic glass about 8,000 years ago. So the mirror has been around for a very, very, very long time. But you got different types of mirrors, don't you? Like you ever been in a fun house and, and, and gone into like the rooms? They usually have this at the beginning of the fun house. Like they like to stop, start off like super docile until you get to the end and they scare you to death, right? But in the beginning of the fun house, remember those mirrors that you have and you stand in front of those mirrors and you have one and it like makes you look really short and wide, and then you maybe go to another mirror and then you're like super tall and skinny and, and, and then stretched out. And then you maybe go to a third mirror and now you got a head that's enormous and you look like a walking caricature. Like, remember those? Remember those fun mirrors? When you look in those mirrors, they really don't bother you too much because they, you know that they're showing a distorted image of who you are. But this is what I found interesting this past week. I was not aware that there was this type of mirror. Maybe you are. Have anyone, I want to actually see your hands. Has anyone uh, heard of this mirror called the skinny mirror? Anybody? Raise your hand. Okay, not as many as the 9 a.m., a few of you. This blew me away. Like this, and I'm like, man, I got to use this this week. Okay, here's another uh, thing that, don't usually open up. L Magazine, am I saying that right? E-L-L-E, L Magazine, right? So 
So this is what I found out and it actually came across my Facebook feed. So I don't know why Mark Zuckerberg thought I should see that, but um, that's a joke, by the way. Some of you caught it. Um, Kate was talking about this skinny mirror. So this Belinda Jasmine is the creator of this skinny mirror. And what they do is they actually have these mirrors in boutiques. This just blows me away. Listen to this. The company sells mirrors with curved glass that make you look taller and 10 pounds thinner than you are. Some of you are already intrigued. Jasmine was inspired to start the company after she found an old mirror in her attic that made her look heavier than she was. Only she didn't know it was the mirror warping her image. And she says, I was trying real hard to come to grips and accept my body as I was seeing myself in the distorted reflection. So she made a prototype of a mirror that made her look thinner and it made her feel more confident. She says, my thought with the skinny mirror is maybe all we need to love ourselves a little more is to see ourselves in a slightly different perspective, she wrote. She says, the skinny mirror doesn't change how you look. It changes how you see yourself. What a sham. <laughs> like, let's just, let's just go down the road with this. Can we just go down the road for a second? So I'm in a, well, I'm not in a boutique. You ladies are in a boutique. And you find this dress or whatever outfit it is, and you put it on, and you get in the dressing room, and you look in the mirror, and you're like, "Woo, I look good. I just had pizza the night before, and I still look good. And you go home with this outfit, and then you put it on the next day, and you look in the mirror, and something has drastically changed. I think this is crazy, but people are buying them, I guess. Now, when I read that, I thought to myself, man, how true is that so often of us? Is that we find ourselves so often going after the things or the people or whatever it is that will give us a false view of ourselves and numb us from the reality of where we may be right now in our walk with the Lord. And so as silly as it is looking in a skinny mirror that shows us 10 pounds lighter than we are and looking taller than we are and making us feel good about ourselves, that's so often how we live our Christian lives. Looking for anything and everything that can numb us and blind us to the reality of how am I living right now? And that's why we've entitled the series Full Length Mirror, Moving from Good Intentions to Transformation. Because what we want to do in this series is to peer into God's word and ask ourselves, God, where am I at right now in my walk with you? God, am I even a follower of Jesus Christ? God, if I am a follower of Jesus Christ, what does it look like for me to stop just moving from good intentions saying, I know I need to do this, to actually moving to action and saying, God, I'm going to apply what I see to my life so that I can see growth in my life. And so we're going to peer into the mirror of God's word in this series and look at topics that every one of us face and have to deal with on a daily basis. And here's the overarching idea that I want us to get today as we look at James 1, verses 19, 27. It's this. God's word is a mirror. God's word is the mirror. God's word is the full-length mirror. And it is a mirror that reveals who I am, 
You may be here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And you're justifying yourselves by the good that you do. And God's word is going to show you who you are. If I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, God's word in a positive way is going to show me who I am. I am a child of God. I am loved by God, my Father. But it's also going to show me where I am. Like, where am I in my walk with the Lord? Am I being disobedient? And am I going the opposite way of the place that God desires me? Where am I in life right now? Where am I in my Christian walk right now? And it's also going to show me what needs to change. If I'm in a place that's far from God, as God's word's going to show me where I am, then it's also going to show me what needs to change. God, what do you want me to surrender? What do you want me to submit to you? What behavior do you want me to turn from? See, God's word is a mirror, and it reveals who I am, where I am, and what needs to change. And in verses 1 through 18 that we looked at last week, James answers this question, man, how do we face trials? And we looked at that last week where this passage of Scripture in 19 through 27 is going to answer the question, how do I respond to God's Word? And so we're going to answer that question. And the title of this message, if you're taking notes, is this, how to use a mirror. How to use a mirror. So if God's Word is the mirror then how do I use it? And we're going to answer that question this morning by three things in this passage of Scripture. I want to direct your attention, first of all, though, look at verses 23 and 24. We're actually going to jump in the middle of this passage before we deal with the preceding verses. And what I want you to notice in verse 23 and 24 is just that word, look. Don't focus right now on the negative way that that word is being used. We're going to deal with that, but I want you to look at this word, look, it says in verse 23 and 24, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself. And the verse goes to get, continues to go on. Here's the first way that you and I are to use a mirror or to approach God's word. Here it is. Look into the mirror. Look into it. Look into it. And that word look is an interesting word. It's not that word that gives this idea that I am passing by the mirror. See, I, I looked in it, but I quickly passed by. That's not the word. The word to look literally has the idea that I am looking intently into the mirror, gazing into the mirror, looking for everything that I can possibly see of myself. That's the word look. And when I look into the mirror, I see two things. I see, first of all, who I am. Like every one of us, when we placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our eyes were open to see us, see ourselves for who we really are. See, our natural tendency is to do what? To justify ourselves, right? See, I can always find someone who's worse off than I am. I can always find someone who's doing something worse. I can always find someone whose consequences are worse than the consequences that I'm living in. I can always find someone who's worse off than me. And every one of us at one point or another used to think of ourselves, well, my conscience is going to be my guide, which is a horrible phrase. 
Because my conscience is formed by my surroundings. But we're brought up to think, well, if the good outweighs the bad, then I'm good. But when I look into the mirror of God's word, I see something. I see that I'm a sinner. I see that I can never save myself. I see that I'm hopeless without God. And when I look into the mirror, what it does is it gives me a proper perspective of who I am without God's help. But just like it shows me who I am, here's what what happens when I look into the mirror of God's word. I just don't see myself for who I am, but I see God for who he is. Because when I look into the mirror of God's word, I see that he's perfect. I see that he's holy. I see passages of scripture that describe God as that way. I see God as a God of justice, which means he has to punish sin. Because if he didn't punish sin, and he didn't punish my sin in particular, then he wouldn't be just. But God just isn't, as I look into the mirror, God just isn't holy and just, but he's also loving. In the pages of the scripture, the mirror reveals to me that God's character is also one of love because he sent Jesus Christ to live perfection for my sinfulness. He sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sins. Well, my sin deserved. He rose again three days later so that if I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, not in the good that I've done, but in the perfection that he's done, that I can have a relationship with him. And when I look into the mirror, I see my purpose for life. My purpose is to glorify him in everything that I do. When I look into the mirror, I see that I have the strength to live this life for God through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me. When I look into the mirror, I see God's grace and God's mercy and God's sustenance and God's protection and God's favor and on and on and on and on it goes. But the only way that I see myself for who I am and see God for who he is, is I have to say to myself, I'm going to look in the mirror. It's the first way that God wants us to use the mirror of his word is it's like, man, let's get into it. Let's look into it. And some of you have been rationalizing everything because in honesty, you've not taken the time to actually look into his word. And if that's you, man, I'm so glad you're here today. Some of you are like, man, I don't even know why I'm here today. Somebody invited me and I came in. I tried everything else. I'm gonna try this. And for the first time this morning, maybe for you, you are, we, you are looking with the rest of us into God's word and I'm so excited for you. But here's the second thing, not just looking into the mirror, but look at verses 19 and 20. Now let's jump up to the beginning of this passage. James says this, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Here's the second thing. How do you use a mirror? You listen to what the mirror says. See, many of us know or can at least say, well, I remember that verse in verse 19 where it says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And we think that that refers to just in general terms like, okay, when I'm talking with someone, this is great communication skills and advice. And I wouldn't disagree with that at all, but what we need to understand is the primary context that James gives these instructions to the church is for us to understand this is how we are to approach God's word. 
This is how you're to approach God's word. This is how I'm to approach God's word, to be quick to hear or listen, slow to speak and slow to anger. But don't we often come to God's word like with our presuppositions and, and what we want it to say. Don't we oftentimes come to God's word that way? We, we come to God's word and we open it up and we're like, well, God, here's what I need you to say right now. Like, I need you to say this. Or we come to God's word and we're flipping through the pages and we're like, well, man, I gotta find something in here that justifies my attitudes and actions. Like I know I come to harvest and we say when God's word is open, God's mouth is open. So I'm going to flip through. I'm even going to go back to the concordance and look and see if I can find anything that actually justifies my feelings, my attitudes, my actions right now. Don't we so often come to God's word that way? Have you ever been in a discussion where when you're talking with someone, it almost feels like they're not listening to you at all. They're just waiting for you to shut up so that they can then rebuttal you? right? So I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand how many of you are like that because my hand would oftentimes be raised as well. But you know how frustrating that is? That's so often the way that we approach God's word. See, we don't open it up and look into the mirror of God's word and say, God, I'm going to approach your word right now and I'm going to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger when I read your word. You know what that requires? It requires this, humility. It requires humility. It requires me saying, I don't always know what's best for me. God, I'm gonna be quiet. I'm gonna listen to what your mirror says. I'm gonna be slow to rebuttal and I'm going to be slow to anger when it contradicts what my flesh wants to do. See, I have to approach it humbly if I'm going to listen to what it says. But so many of us, you know what we often do? We look into the mirror of God's word and we assess ourselves and we're like, Ugh, that doesn't look exactly like I want it to. So what do we say? Well, let me go buy the skinny mirror. Let me go by the thing that's going to tell me what I want to look like. Let me go look for it. Let me look for an opinion from others. Let me look for someone who agrees with what I'm saying. Look for someone who's going to justify what I want to do. And don't we oftentimes do that? But what I see here is James says, no, 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 no. This is what God wants you to do when you peer into his word. He wants you to listen to what it says. And look at what it says in verse 20. Like sometimes we read verse 20 and we're like, well, how does verse 20 correlate to how we listen to God's word? It says in verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. But see, when we're slow to listen and quick to speak, no, no, God, I don't like what that says. I don't want to do what that says. We're quick to anger, we, our attitude, we approach God's word arrogantly and stubbornly. And when we come at God's word with resentment and, and being obstinate and saying, I don't want to do that, the result is, is it develops into anger. See, I found this 
so true in my life. That when my family's having to walk around, uh, walk on figurative eggshells around me, I can't say this, it might do this, can't do this, at your home and Maybe your wife feels like that, your husband feels like that, your kids feel like that, your friends feel like that, your boss feels like that, your employees feel like that. Have you ever asked yourself, I wonder if the root of this is because I'm not responding humbly to God's word in my life. I'm not listening to what it says. Because I've found in my life that when I'm short and when I fly off the handle at the smallest thing, It's so often correlated that I am not looking into the mirror of God's word on a consistent basis, and I'm not listening to what it says with humility. I see that all the time. Couples that come into the office, people that come into the office for counseling. I've said this before, I've never found someone that says, man, my life is in a ditch right now, and I ask them, well, how are you approaching God's word, what's your quiet time look like with the Lord? And they say, man, it's fantastic. And maybe for some of us, for the first time, we thought, man, I wonder why. That's why I'm so angry all the time. It's because I've been resistant and butting up and been arrogant and obstinate to what God's word says. And I sit in this room week after week after week after week and I look in the mirror and I hear God's word, but I wonder if the anger really results in I'm not willing to submit to what God's word says. I'm not being quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to anger, but man, I'm being slow to listen quick to speak, and it's resulting in me being quick to anger. And James reminds us, listen, anytime my posture is like that, it never leads to the righteousness of God in my life or extended to others. How do we use the mirror? How do we look into this beautiful book of God's word that tells us how to live? Man, we got to look into it. We got to listen to what it says. Here's the third thing. We need to live differently based on what the mirror reveals. Look at what it says in verse 21. James says, therefore, like if I'm supposed to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger and My anger never produces the righteousness of God, and if that's the way I'm supposed to posture myself in light of God's word, then what's my activity? What's my response? Because it's more than just looking and listening, though those things are good. What do I do? And then James says, therefore, here's what you actually need to do. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. That word put away is such an interesting word. It literally means to take off a garment. To get undressed from that which stinks. That's the idea of put away. And so many times what we want to do is we want to take what stinks our filthiness and rampant wickedness and what the culture says the way that I'm supposed to live and what my flesh wants to say. And we want to place it on top of God's word. 
Like, let me take all the things that right now seem to be bringing me pleasure and the things that I'm wanting to do out of my prideful living, and I'm going to take that and I'm going to plop it on God's word and see if it fits, which it never does. And that's what gets the church into so many problems. We like to take the culture and the climate of whatever society is telling us, and we like to place it on top of God's word and say, okay, we're going to make this culture fit into God's word, and saying, no, 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 no. We're going to look into God's word, and we're going to listen to what it says, and we're going to live differently based on what it reveals. So we're going to take God's word and place it over whatever society tells us. We're going to put away the things Put away the way that we used to live. Put away the things that we know bring nothing but pain. It's like this. So I'm pretty sure I can say probably 99.9999999999% that this is true of every person. When you woke up in the morning, I promise you, I'm, place, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting you. I'm looking out of the crowd and I don't see anybody who I would say didn't do this. You looked in the mirror. For some length of time, even if it was this, you looked into the mirror. Then you listened to what it said, and you fixed what it said. But I don't think anybody did this. You went to your dirty hamper, wherever that was. And you said, all right, now i got to pick out an outfit. Let's see what we got in here. Dirty underwear, dirty socks, dirty shirt, Whew, this thing stinks the worst. I worked out in it yesterday. I forgot it was all the way underneath and been in here for a week. That looks like it's going to work for church today. Nobody would do that. I thought to myself, no one would ever do that. And I remember back in college, one of my roommates, not me, one of my roommates like every morning, you know what he would do? He never did laundry. He'd literally go into his laundry bag that hung on the side of his bunk bed. And you know what he would do? He would go and he would pull out socks or whatever it was because he was too lazy to do laundry. But like, dude, you've got to, like, I'll pay for it. I remember having this conversation all the time. So I know it does happen, but here's the point. Nobody would say that was right. Nobody would say that would make sense. Nobody would say or ever write that that's the way to influence people in a positive way. Nobody would say that's the way to get married. Nobody would say any of those things because it doesn't make sense. And what James is saying is, you know how we ought to live our lives as followers of Jesus Christ? When we look into the word and we listen to the word, we need to live differently. We need to be putting away the junk that we used to do because we're seeing it now as we listen to God's word as being what it is, as something that smells and is repulsive to God. Why in the world would we ever be putting that on again? That's James's point. But then look at what he says. We're supposed to put away that dirty laundry. But what are we supposed to do? Look at what it says. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. I love that phrase, implanted word, because that tells me God's activity in my life as a follower of Jesus Christ. That he's put something inside of me. 
He's put his word on my heart. Jeremiah 31 talks about that, where he says in verse 33, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. That God has put his word on my heart and he's given me a new heart, as Ezekiel 36 says. He's replaced my heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And if we're here today and we're evaluating our life, and we're being honest with our life and we're like, no, 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 I'm not looking into the things that are gonna justify my actions. No, 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 I'm assessing my life right now and if you look at our life and saying, man, I don't have a desire to look in the mirror. I don't have a desire right now to look into God's word. I don't have a desire to listen to what it says. I don't have a desire to live differently now. I'm tolerating everything that's being said from God's word right now. Then I would caution you, you better look at your life and do a spiritual house cleaning. Because according to God's word, there's a desire to do that as a follower of Jesus Christ. So what is it in my life that is blocking that desire to want to look and to listen and to live differently based on what God's word, the mirror, reveals? What is it that I need to confess this morning? What is it that I need to come clean with this morning? What is it that I need to ask someone for forgiveness because I've been harboring bitterness? Whatever it is, what is it that's blocking my desire right now to do and to be what God created me for? Look at what it says in verse 22. James continues to say this idea of action. He says, be a doer. That's the idea of keep on doing. This is a lifestyle. It's not a one-time decision. But keep on being a doer of the word and not a hearer only, deceiving yourselves. Like, don't deceive yourself that just by what you hear, somehow you're growing. Look at what it says in verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks, we covered what that word meant, who looks, who scrutinizes, looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and once forgets. Those two word verbs, goes away and once forgets, are in a tense that has the idea that this is something that normally happens. Like if I'm not being intentional to look and to listen and to say, God, what do I need to change? Because what did we say God's word was? It's a mirror that reveals who I am, where I am, and what needs to change. If I'm not being diligent in my approach to God's word, I'm going to be that type of man. I'm going to be like, yeah, that was good. That spoke to me. That convicted me. But I'm going to go on living the way that I want. It's interesting the way those two verbs, the tense that they're used there to get across that idea. But then look at what it says in verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, that's speaking of God's word, the law of liberty, some of your translations may say freedom, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Stick with this scenario with me. So let's say I own a company. And I need to take a business trip and I need to get away for 90 days and do some business overseas. But in knowing that I need to go conduct some business overseas, I take the next person in charge and I sit down with, with that woman and I say to her, listen, 
These are the things laid out that need to happen. This is the schedule of when things need to be done. These are the schedule of the meetings that need to happen. This is the training that needs to happen with the people that just were hired. And I lay out everything that needs to happen in those 90 days that actually needs to get done so that the business can function the way that it's supposed to. And so I go away on my trip for 90 days and I come back and I walk into the building and everything is a wreck. People are doing whatever they want, not working at all, having a party, everything's disheveled. Like, and I'm walking, I meet with that person that I left in charge, and I'm like, getting a little nervous and saying, Well, can you tell me, like, did everything get done that needed to get done? No, no, not really, it didn't. And I'm like, Why not? They're like, No, 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 calm down, calm down. Let me tell you what we actually did. We read every single bit of instruction that you gave us for those 90 days. We even took on our day off. We gathered together on Sundays in this office to talk about what you told us to do. Like acting like I'm supposed to be impressed. And, and then, no, 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 get this. Like, then we met three times during the week to talk about what you told us to do. And we even came up with discussion questions about what you told us to do. And here's a step further. Like many of us, we have everything that you told us to do memorized. What's the problem with that? There was never any action. And here's my greatest concern for all of us in this room is that we would judge our spiritual walks with the Lord based on how much we know, based on how much we discuss it, based on how much we memorize it, and we judge our spiritual walk with the Lord based on how much we know, deceiving ourselves into believing that knowing equals growing. But what James is telling us in this passage of Scripture is that when you look into the Word and you listen to the Word, there ought to be something in you that says, I'm going to live differently based on what the mirror God's Word reveals because knowing plus obeying equals growing. And let's finish out this passage of Scripture in 26 and 27. It says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person is, religion is worthless. Strong word, religion, or that idea of worship, that's the word for worship that is pure and undefiled before God. The Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their inflictions. James uses these two groups of people to get across the idea, though it is literal, yes, we need to care for the orphans and widows, but he's also getting the idea that anyone who's in need... And then he says, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. See, when I'm living differently based on what the mirror reveals, here's what James is saying in these verses. Then the outflow of that is worship. Not just by what I sing, but it affects my heart because the worship here in this passage of Scripture is described as pure interesting that he says, if you don't know how to bridle your tongue, your worship is worthless because out of the mouth, the heart speaks, Matthew 12 says. 
See, when I'm living differently based on what the mirror reveals, it's not that I'm perfect, but I'm I'm saying, God, I'm coming to your word humbly. I'm submitting it to it. And when I go astray, I'm confessing it as sin and I'm walking in step with you again. God, my worship is pure, but then it's practical. Because what good is it for me to love God if it's not leading me to love others? What good is it for me to have a vertical relationship with God if it's not leading to vertical living and loving my fellow man and woman regardless of their situation as myself? And then it's personal. Because it says it's important for us to keep us unstained from the world. Don't put on those dirty clothes again. Live differently based on what the mirror reveals. And I want every head bowed and every eye closed because so often we get caught into thinking that living differently based on what God's word reveals somehow leads to God being a killjoy when in this text it says, no, 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 it leads to freedom. James, John 8 says, man, When you know the truth, the truth will set you free when you're applying it to your life and it'll set you free. My marriage will be in a different place. My family will be in a different place. My personal walk with the Lord will be in a different place. I'll have a new perspective at work. Man, the truth sets me free when I apply it and I obey it. And there's blessing in that. As this passage says, we'll be blessed in what we do because we're living differently than who we used to be. And I know for myself, man, I've had to just, once again, God, let me look in the mirror. Let me look intently into your word. God, let me listen to what your word is saying. God, I want to live differently. And that ought to be a daily practice in our life. I've had to ask myself about this. There ought to be no person in this room that says, yeah, I haven't done that in a long time. No, 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 no. If, you're, if that's you, then what's blocking, what sin needs to be confessed, what lifestyle needs to be turned away with, because that's not the desire that God's put in your heart.